had a video I wanted to show you, though, um, after this one, after the, the Looney Tunes. Because last Saturday, and I don't know if you saw this in the news or not, but last Saturday uh, there was a church group from California that was at Yosemite the National Park. And there are several waterfalls in that park. One of those is Nevada Falls, which is about 600 feet tall. And strong currents above it. There was a 19-year-old young guy, part of that church group, decided he'd swim in the river above the waterfalls about 150 feet above the drop, so half a football field, if you will. And he he swam to a rock out in the middle, and then after being on the rock for a little while, turned around and started swimming back to to shore, and he got caught up in the current and was swept over the falls. That was a week ago Saturday. They still haven't recovered his body. They interviewed tourists, And several of them talked about the fact that there are warning signs up there warning people not to swim in the river, warning people about the risk. Sometimes when we're young, like I said, he was 19, we think we're immune to problems. We think we're immune to some of the things that could happen that are really, really bad. Well, he wasn't immune. He paid for it with his life. But he's not, he's not the only one paying for it. Think with me for a minute about how his family feels today. How the people who loved him and are friends with him feel this morning. Can you imagine how that church group feels? How the leaders of that church group, his buddies who were with him when he was in the water, can, can you imagine how they feel this morning? Because when you and I make decisions that hurt us, the truth is they usually hurt other people as well. People who care about us, people who are part of our lives in some way or another. So in this sermon series, we've been talking about the messes we create by our choices. Now, I know other people can create a mess for you. For instance, everything his family and everything that church group is feeling this morning didn't have anything to do with the choice they made. They are feeling everything they feel because of the choice he made. Sometimes other people do things and it creates a mess for us. But we're focusing on the messes that we create. We're the ones that choose to jump in the water. We're the ones that take the risk. We're the ones that, that make the wrong choices, that, that don't listen to God. Messes we've created. And we've looked at why we do that not listening to God and doing pretty much whatever we want and so on. And, but this morning I want to turn our attention a little bit. And I want to think about when we make a mess, what, we can, what, what can we do to make things right with God? Now, next Sunday is the sermon I've been looking forward to preaching most in this series about how do you go forward some very constructive things to do to go forward from this point when you make a mess. But you you can't really do that effectively until you make things right with God. You're, You're more likely to do the other things that you need to do to go forward in life after making a mess if you begin by making things right with God. So I invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18. You'll remember that our case study is the people of God in Jerusalem and Judea during the days of the prophet Jeremiah. 
They had turned their back on God, worshiping idols and so on. Now, they still went to the temple. They still were religious, still offered sacrifices, but they were doing pretty much what they wanted even though they were religious. God wasn't Lord in their life, and they were making bad decisions, immoral decisions, and they were also worshiping other gods, etc. And the mess they created was that their nation lost its freedom. The Babylonians conquered Judah and Jerusalem, burned the city, burned the temple, and deported a majority of the citizens to Babylon as slaves where they would spend the rest of their their lives. And so it's it's a real mess. Well, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, said a lot to the people that instructed them on making things right with God. And I want us to look at some of what we can learn from that. And in your program this morning, there's an insert with a lot of Bible verses. You're going to need that. There's a lot of Bible verses there and some blanks to fill in. So go ahead and take that out and hold it with your Bible. But the first thing I want you to see is what you, you see on the screen. We, we begin making things right with God by turning around, going in a different direction. In other words, you're not going to make things right with God if you keep going the direction you've been going, keep doing the things you've been doing, keep thinking the way you've been thinking. There has to be an about face, if you will. There has to be a turnaround and a movement in a different, a new direction. The biblical word that you've heard for years that 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 summarizes turning around is the word repentance. Repentance. Repentance literally means to turn around. It's an about face. And in Jeremiah 18, there's a, there's a very vivid story that helps us get a picture of what, of, of what turning around in repentance means and what God does in response to it. You'll look in chapter 18 at verse 1. God spoke to Jeremiah and in verse 2 said, said Jeremiah, arise and go down to the potter's house. And once you get there, I'm going to tell you what I want you to say. I'll give you my words. And so in verse 3, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and the potter was there making something on the wheel. Now, you maybe have seen this in a live demonstration or on television. A potter with that wheel, you know, today they're electric and they turn. And, and he has some clay and he's molding it with his hands and shaping a vessel, a pot of some kind, you know, some pottery. Some of them are really talented and make some beautiful, beautiful things. Well, Jeremiah goes down to the potter's house and this potter's spinning the wheel and He's molding a vessel out of clay. And he tells us in verses, uh, verse 4 that when he was making this clay pot on the wheel, it messed up. It wasn't turning out the way he wanted. And so the original design he had in mind to make with that piece of clay just was not going to work. And so he kind of you know, pushed it all back together and started over, and he made something totally different. After Jeremiah saw the potter doing this, God said, now let me tell you what my message is. I want you to look at it in Jeremiah 18, starting at verse 6. God says to Jeremiah, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. O house of Israel, God says, you as my people, this world, all the people in it, you're like clay in my hand. You're the same as the clay on that wheel that the potter is is making a vessel with. And I can do with you the same thing he did with that piece of clay. And he gives two examples. Verse 7, 
At one moment, here's one example, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning the kingdom, a group of people, to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy. He said there might be this group of people, this nation, like you, Judah, and my plans are to, for, for you as a vessel is I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to uproot and destroy you. Now, we'll see in the next verse it's because of their sin, their evil. Verse 8, he said, If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. He said, If this group of people that I'm planning to do something bad with because of their sin turns from their sin, turns from their evil. And that Hebrew word literally means to, 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 to physically turn around and move in a different direction. It's also used spiritually of turning around. In, in the Old Testament, you can turn around in the sense that you can turn toward God. You can turn away from God. You can choose to turn in the direction of sin and evil. Or you can choose to turn away from sin and evil. You can turn from righteousness to evil or turn from evil to righteousness. The word is neutral. How it's used is defined by the context. And so here's this group of people that had turned their back to God and were turning toward and doing evil, doing sinful things. And God said, I'm going to discipline you. I've got calamitous plans for you. But if that group turns from their evil, meaning they turn toward what is right and they turn toward God, God says in verse 8, I will relent concerning the calamity I have planned. I will think differently. I'll change my mind. Rather than carrying through with the discipline, I'm going to do something different. So if they change, God says, I'll change my plans for them. That's example number one. Example number two is given in verse 9. He says, or at another moment. I might, I might speak concerning a nation or a kingdom to build it up and to plant it. Here's this group. I'm going to bless them. Verse 10, but if it does evil in my sight but not obeying my voice, then I will think better of the good with which I had promised to bless it. He said, here's this group. Now, my plans for them are good. I'm, I'm going to bless them. My, I'm, I'm trying to make of them a vessel that is beautiful, and I'm going to bless that vessel. But if they choose to turn from me and turn toward evil, then I can change my plans and not bless them. You've heard me say many times over the years that some of the greatest tragedies in life are not the things that happen, but the things that never happen. Blessings God had for us, things God wanted to do in our life that we never experienced because we chose to turn from God and turn in a different direction, and we don't know we missed out on a blessing God was planning to give us, on, on an adventure God was planning to give us. And so God says, I can do either one. So, so there's a connection, there's a correlation, if you will, between what God does with us and what we do. And then he drives the point home in verse 11. So now then, here's the conclusion of the whole thing. Here's the point. Speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jeremiah, go talk to the people in the city of Jerusalem, the people in this country that, I, that I've been sending you to, to preach to all these years. Go say to them one more time. This is what God says. I'm fashioning calamity against you and devising a plan against you. The Babylonians are coming. 
The collapse of your nation is coming. The destruction of your city, your homes, and the temple is coming. Your deportation to Babylon as slaves where you will die is coming. As a result of your sin, turning from God and turning to evil, it's coming. It's coming. And he says to them in the middle of verse 11, Oh, turn back. You're you're going this direction away from God. Turn back. Turn around. Go a different direction. Turn back each of you from his evil way and reform your ways and your deeds. And the Hebrew word translated reform there means to make good, to make right. Because when they turned from God to evil, they were doing what was wrong. God says, turn around, turn back from that evil, from that sin, and reform your behavior. Do what is right instead of continuing to do what is wrong. So how do you make things right with God after you mess up? You turn around. You repent. See, making things right with God involves so much more than simply saying, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. When you as a believer mess up, yes, you repent. Yes, you confess. Yes, you ask forgiveness and receive forgiveness. But it, but it doesn't stop there. Genuine repentance involves a genuine turning around, a going in a different direction with your life, a going in a different direction with your attitude and with your thinking, all of that. So what, what I want to do for a few moments, and we're going to observe the Lord's Supper in a few minutes, so I'm going to preach a little bit shorter than usual, is I want to, I want to help you understand just a little bit more intimately what repentance, what turning around really looks like, what it involves, what it feels like. And the first thing is this. It involves honest reflection, honest reflection and honest evaluation of your life. Now, I mentioned there's a bunch of Bible verses in your notes, so look at it real quickly. They're they're not on the screen this morning. Lamentations 3.28, Jeremiah's lament, the book he wrote that it captured the pain and the sorrow he felt at the destruction of of Judah and Jerusalem. And God said to him, let him, let Judah, let the people, let, let them sit alone in silence for the Lord has laid it on him. That, that sometimes when you are experiencing the pain of your choices, when, when you're dealing with the consequences of messing up, that what God says you need to do is stop talking. You need to be quiet. You need to listen. Listen to the Lord. Stop arguing with God. Stop pointing fingers and blaming other people when you're the one that made the choice that created that situation. Because sometimes what we do is we want to make all these excuses. We want to blame everyone. We want to blame God. And and God says sometimes just be quiet, be silent, sit still, and think about what you've done. Own it. Jeremiah 2.19, your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider, think about, pay attention to, look at. 
Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord God. He said, you've got to sit down and be quiet and think and be honest long enough to realize that when you make bad choices, it hurts. It's bitter. If, if we just rush through life without ever reflecting on our decisions, reflecting on the consequences of how we live, then we keep making the same mistake over and over and over and over. And he says you need to be quiet and reflect on, consider the fact that your choices can lead to bitterness in your life. And then he gives an illustration of it in Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 5 and following. Words are in your notes. God says the pain that they were feeling as the Babylonians destroyed their nation was, was like a woman giving birth. And so he asked the question in those verses, can a man become pregnant and experience childbirth? God then says, well, why is it when I look at the men in Judah and Jerusalem, it's like they're all doubled over with their hands on their loins feeling pain like a woman in childbirth. You ever had a really bad stomach cramp? And you just double over, you know, and it's just, you know, you know what I'm talking about? When Stephen was born back in the mid-80s in Sumter at Toomey Hospital, you didn't have the really nice birthing rooms like you got today and all of that. And so while we were in a room, we could hear, I could hear, there was a teenage girl in the room next door. I heard her all night screaming. She called on the deity over and over and over. I mean, she, girls, it hurt a lot. I'll never forget her screams. For 12 hours, she screamed. And God says, I see all these men in Judah and Jerusalem, and they're doubled over. Now, they got pain pills. They got got meds today. You're okay, sweetie. Okay, she's pregnant. You got meds. Don't worry. Don't let me scare you. Two weeks, two weeks, right? So pray for her, two weeks, her first. And those meds work. It her. He said, and God says, well, I see all these men, and they're doubled over with their hands on their loin in pain because they realize that the, the pain of, 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 of the loss of their freedom and all their experiences, and it's their own fault. They brought all this pain on themselves. their own distress. Jeremiah 13, 22, God says, Jeremiah, tell them this. If you ask yourself, why has this happened to me? It is because of your many sins. You see, making things right with God, the starting place to turning around is admitting, I made the decisions. I made the choices. I made the mess. I've got to own it. Stop arguing and blaming and pointing fingers. Now, I'm not, listen, I'm not talking about messes other people create. I'm talking about messes you make. Big messes, little messes. You, you're, you're not going to fix anything until you own your part in it. Some of you are living with pain right now. Some kind of pain, some kind of distress because of decisions you made. You've got to own that. There's no healing without owning it. Now, the second thing, you've got, you got reflection, honest reflection, The second part of turning around is contrition or brokenness. I've got a buddy who's a a preacher, and um, we're from the same area. He he got saved when he was about 19, 20 years old, and at that time he was driving a a coal truck, called into ministry later, and 
so on. And uh, But I remember him telling me once about he was at work not long after he got saved, and it was the first time after he became a Christian that one of his old habits caught up with him, and, and, he, and he cussed. He just let a word fly. And he said when he did, he felt awful. He found a secluded place, and he said, Steve, I cried like a baby. See, sometimes shedding tears is good. Feeling the pain, feeling the remorse, feeling the brokenness. After all, we are emotional creatures. God created us with a mind, a heart, with intellect, with emotions. All of that's part of who we are. And there, there has to, at times, be a sense of brokenness over our choices, over our sin, over the damage, over the wrong. Jeremiah 31, 19, in your notes, the Bible says, after I turned back, talking about the people of God at that time, I repented, and after I was instructed, I smote my thigh. That's a, a way in, in the Near East, the Middle East of that era of, of expressing grief and sorrow, just striking yourself. He says, I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the reproach or the disgrace See, if, if, if you're too proud to feel the pain of your wrong choices, your sinful choices, brokenness before God. See, asking people to come and kneel here at the front, it's not just a religious thing. It's a way of expressing at times it can be. Sometimes it's praying for people, but sometimes it's just expressing brokenness. God, I'm broke. God, I, I messed up. God, I feel it. And you can't run from that. None if you want to be healed. Brokenness, contrition over the sin. And, and, and that's more than just saying, God, I'm sorry. Is feeling the pain of the sin. But I got to go on. Third and final word is change. Turning around repentance involves change. And I want to I speak for just a moment about change in two ways. One, change in regard to sin, how we feel about, think about, look at sin. And when we, when we, when, when we change how we think about sin... That shows up in our behavior, in our lifestyle, on the outside, if you will. Jeremiah 7.3 in your notes, reform your ways and your actions. And that word reform again literally means to make right, to make good. Your, your behavior before was wrong. Well, you make it right. You do what is right. You do what is good. You change your attitude about that sin and, and, and therefore you change your behavior. You do what's right. He said in Jeremiah 7, 5, if you really change your ways and your actions, in other words, follow through. Good intentions, as we said the other day, is not enough. It has to be real. It has to be real change, turning around, going a different direction, change of behavior. But it's also, when it comes to sin, not just a change of our outward behavior, but a change of our attitude of the inner person of our thinking, our mind and our heart, if you will, our attitude. Jeremiah 4, verse 14 he says, wash the evil from your heart and be saved. How long will you harbor wicked thoughts? You ever been working outside and gotten 
really sweaty and really dirty. You jumped in the shower and you washed all that away and you felt refreshed. You felt clean. God says you need to do that to your heart. You need to do that with your mind. Because all the sin and all the wickedness and all the evil and all the disobedience and all the running away from God, as you turn to God and you change your behavior, you need to let God wash you on the inside. Your heart needs a bath. Your mind, your thinking needs a bath. Your attitude needs a bath. Your behavior is much more likely to be God-honoring if you've allowed God to clean you up on the inside because most of what we do originates on the inside. Jesus in the gospel said it's not what a man puts into his mouth, what goes into him that defiles the man, a reference to the Jewish food laws. He said it's not what you eat and drink that defiles you. Instead, it's what comes out that defiles a man. Knowing that it works both ways, but more often than not, our behavior is shaped by what's in here. So we need to let God do some work in here. Wash your heart. Wash your mind. Change your thinking. And, and, and that means you've got to agree with God about sin. You can't continue to argue with God about the rightness or wrongness of what God calls sin. You can't continue to argue with God about what priorities should be in your life. Be, be silent. Stop the arguing. Own it. And say, God, cleanse me. Heal me. Wash it away. And give me a new attitude about sin and a new life when it comes to sin. I, ch- I want to change. But it's also change in relation to God. How we look at God, think about God, feel about God, and that shows up in some very practical ways. It changes how we deal with the Word of God, with the Scripture. Jeremiah 2.31, he says, Consider the Word of the Lord. Consider, pay attention to, heed. I mean, how are you going to know what God expects if you never pay any attention to what He says. Hmm? I said a few weeks ago, we do all this self-talk. And we say to ourselves, well, you know, I think, well, I feel. The problem is our thinking and our feeling can mislead us. And so you need to pay attention to, look closely at, consider what God says and let that adjust your thinking and your feeling. You're, all of us are going to have those moments in life when you get upset, you get discouraged, you get frustrated, whatever it is, and you start having this conversation with yourself. And the more you think and talk to yourself, the, the angrier you get and the worse it gets. And then you want to retaliate. You, anybody, can I get anybody, anybody been there? Well, what, what, what I've learned, well, you know what we need to do? Instead of continuing to listen to ourselves, we need to start paying attention to what God says. When that happens, go get in His Word, and God will begin to heal you, to wash you of that, to redirect you, refocus you. Because if you don't allow God, because you're paying attention to His Word to do that, then you're going to talk yourself into making another bad decision that's going to create another mess. So change and repentance means, God, I change my approach to your word. I pay attention to it. I 
Engage in it. I read it. I feast upon it. Changes our heart when it comes to God. Jeremiah 24, 7, they will be my people. I will be their God for they will return to me with all their heart, their whole heart. You remember what Jesus said about loving God? Love the Lord your God with all your what? With all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul, your total being. See, love is the greatest motivator there is in life. Manisa's in Kentucky with our with Jacqueline and our grandson this weekend, so I'm batching it. Yesterday I stopped at the grocery store to get me something to eat. Now my wife, I love her. And when you love somebody, you want to obey them, you want to do for them, you want to give them what they like, right? All right, for some reason that I don't understand, my wife really enjoys this Propel grape drink. I don't get it, but she loves it. You know, flavored water, Propel grape. And so I was getting food for myself at Food Line, and I see grape Propel, and I thought of my baby, and I bought a bunch of it. And when she comes home, there's going to be some in the fridge and others in the garage, and she's going to have propelled grape to her heart's content. That's why I was late getting back for the party. Hope you all had a good time. Um, Now, I want you all to pray for me. I told you a few weeks ago that I hate making the bed. She loves making the bed. Bed hasn't been made since she left. But they're coming home tomorrow afternoon so you pray for me because I love her. My goal is I have good intentions. You pray I have follow-through. My good intentions is tomorrow morning when I get up, make the bed. So when she comes in the house, that bed. All because I love my baby. So when you love, and what God wants from us is for our relationship with Him to be so much more than about religion and duty, but about love. Love Him with all our heart. And when you love God, your motivation changes. And when you, when you love Him, it's it's just so much easier to do what we're supposed to do. You ever said to your wife, sweetie, I love you with all my heart? You ever said to your husband, I love you so much, I love you with my whole heart? You ever said to your kids or your grandkids, I love you, I I love you more than I can say, I love you with my whole heart? It's emotion. God's relationship with us is about Love. He loves us, and we are to love Him. And when you re- when you make things right with God, and you change and you turn, you begin falling in love with God. It's a growing love relationship with God. And and one of the reasons that Bible reading and prayer are so important is is communication. It's intimacy. It's it's me talking to God and me listening to God. And it's and, and it's the development of that relationship. It's a love relationship. It also changes us toward God in a sense of obedience. Jeremiah 26, 13, reform your ways and your actions and obey the Lord. And trust, Jeremiah 17, 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. Let me wrap this up. You know, that that 19-year-old California man who went over the falls and is dead, he can't fix his choice. This mistake, this mess, he can't fix it. 
He doesn't get a do-over. But you are here today. Now listen to me. You are here today. God is giving you a do-over. Now, maybe there's some decisions you've made and pain that comes because of it, and you can't go back and undo all of that. There are some things, as we said the other day, you can't fix, right? You can't undo everything. But when it comes to your relationship with God, that can be fixed. And you're more likely to have some other things fixed in your life if you start by, by fixing that relationship with God. You're, you are here today. You're breathing. You're alive. That can be fixed. And God has a promise for you. Jeremiah 3.22, return faithless people. I will cure you of backsliding. One of the reasons I really like that verse is that God says, I'm going to do more than forgive you. I'm going to forgive you, yes, but I'm going to do more than that. When you turn, I'm going to cure you of backsliding. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal you spiritually. I'm going to fix you spiritually. And I'm going to bless you in some other ways. I'm going to heal you in some other ways. God does more than just forgive. God wants to cure. After our first service, I had a young man. He looked like he was in his... 20s. I didn't ask him his age, maybe early to mid-20s. And he said, I want to share something with you I've never told you. And he mentioned that five years ago, he listened to a sermon I preached, and he told me which one it was. And he said, that became the moment that his life started turning around. He went into drug rehab. He got right with God. And he's been clean now for five years. Praise God for that. See, God wants to do more than forgive. God wants to fix. God wants to cleanse. God wants to heal. But that can't happen if we stay where we are. That that won't happen if we keep going the direction we've been going. For that kind of stuff to happen, we've got to make the conscious decision to turn from and turn to and love Him with our whole heart. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper right now. And so, deacons, if you'll go to the back and get ready. And listen to me. Do you know what the Lord's Supper is saying? Is that Jesus loves us so much that that He's willing to do whatever it takes to, to cure us. The bread is a picture of Jesus' body. Jesus suffered. And it wasn't because of a choice he made. Jesus suffered because of our mess. We made the mess. We sinned. Everybody look at me. We made the mess. But he chose out of love to step into it with us. To suffer on the cross with us and for us. The juice, the picture of his blood. That he chose to give his life so we could have new life. 
See, it's, it's, it's not just about forgiveness. It is about forgiveness, but it's about so much more. It's about new life. And Jesus said, I step into your mess and give my life so that when you turn from your sin and you turn to me, I can wash you, cleanse you, forgive you, help you, heal you, fix you, and give you new life. When we observe this supper, that's the love we're celebrating. The deacons are going to serve and Will and the band are going to sing. When you're served, hold your elements until everyone has been served and will partake together. But reflect, pray, and think about your life and what God's trying to do and some turning that perhaps you need to make this morning. We invite you to participate with us. Father, bless this supper and bless us as we enter your presence through it. In Jesus' name, amen.